Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. But now the question is, well, all right, well, what technology are they going to choose? And the real advantage that I think we bring to the table is that we're actually helping people not necessarily focus on what the technology is, but who's the company or the individuals that are going to help them utilize that technology in the right way, right? The technology piece is just half of it. That was Paul Hadfield, CEO of Transaction Company. And this is episode 160 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. It all started for Paul in the basement of a dental office at a startup ISO. And now 20 years later, he's on to his third payments company. Paul rightfully believes the point of sale is really the central nervous system of any business. It can manage and connect every single moving part of a company. So Transaction Company was created for the retail and restaurant verticals, and it is Paul's belief that in order to build a successful ISO and profitable payments company today, you have to leverage technology and service. So what's their business model? According to Paul, they're not just a payments provider, but rather a small business consultant. We also talk about what payments looks like for the retail and hospitality industry over the next two to three years, including everything from a spike in QR code implementation to how long it will take before crypto makes it into the restaurant space. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Paul. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Great. So let's just dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. We'll dive deeper into your professional background in a minute, but maybe talk a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school and where you currently live. Sure. I grew up in a small town in Minnesota outside of the Twin Cities called Stillwater. Actually, that's the town where I lived when I got my start in the payments business. I was going to school I went to Stillwater High School, then I went to a small private school called Hamlin University. While I was there, I discovered the world of sales, and that led me into the merchant services business. Lo and behold, I didn't last too long in, in school once I discovered this wild industry of payments. And I've been doing the same thing ever since. This is about 20 years now. So about half my life I've spent in this industry. I moved with my family out to the West Coast in Orange County, California about four years ago. And that's where our current company, Transaction Company, is located, and that's where I reside today. Awesome. Well, let's talk about the company. So tell the audience what Transaction Company does. And let me preface this with, for those of you listening, if you go to look it up, it's trnxn.com or trnxn, just so when people hear it and go to look for it, I don't want them to type in the word transaction. So just wanted to bring that up since this is a uh, audio-only podcast. But go ahead, tell the audience about your company, interested to hear what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. So the name Transaction, we were chatting about this a little bit earlier, Greg, but we wanted to come up with a name that was traditional, but had a modern feel to it. So we kept saying internally that we're building a modern transaction company, but how could we name that? How could we brand that? And so changing the spelling of transaction to TRNXN to us, us just felt right. And so that's the brand, TRNXN Transaction Company, TRNXN.com. So we design, implement, and support custom payment solutions. And really what we mean by that is 
our clients, which are mostly retail and restaurant businesses, I would say in the last five to seven years, as many of you know that are in the industry, technology has just grown by leaps and bounds. And it's gotten to the point now where the point of sale is really the central nervous system of a business, if set up and utilized correctly. So the POS today can manage every single moving part of a business and connect every moving part of the business, not just from payments and cash management, but automating sales tax to integrating online orders to employee scheduling that's integrated down to the time clock, digital gift card sales from online to redeeming in store, just about everything that is related to commerce can be utilized on the point of sale and integrated on the point of sale. So when we meet with a new client, we figure out what are they doing today? What would they like to be doing? What are the goals for their business? And we're going to take all of that and combine it with our knowledge, as well as what other clients that we have that might look and feel like those existing or uh, those prospective clients, what are they doing that's allowed them to be successful? So with that, we'll create what we call a project design which includes from front to back, point of sale payments and every piece of software that we think can accomplish all of those things that we discussed. And we implement and support that system from onsite installation to onsite training to round the clock support for all of those systems and services after they go live. Okay. And you mentioned a couple of verticals. Are there others that you work with or just those two? The majority are going to be retail and restaurant, but we have clients in just about any industry. I would say 90% of our business is in the hospitality space. About 5% of our business is kind of in the specialty grocery, if you will, smaller grocery stores or delis. And then the remaining 5% is all across the board. We service all different types of businesses and, and verticals. So we, we don't necessarily limit ourselves to the types of businesses that we work with. But we definitely have a core focus in the restaurant, bar, hospitality, and retail space. Are you operating just in the U.S. right now? Currently, yes. Okay. And then given that you've mentioned software many times, is the model, is there, are there SaaS fees and transaction fees? Sort of how is, your, how is your pricing? Yeah, it's very specific to the client. So our fees will range from, of course, merchant services fees and various software fees, depending on what types of software we're recommending for that business, as well as point-of-sale software fees, specifically if it's a cloud-based point-of-sale system. And we also generally will charge monthly support contract fees, which cover on-site support and technical support. So we bundle that all up into a package where essentially there's a monthly subscription cost for all of those services. And then of course, their payments fees. And then how do you go to market? Do you have a direct sales force or partner channels or a little bit of both? Today, it's both. The first few years of the business, in fact, man, my first 19 years of the business was really all, all of my businesses have always been direct sales organizations, really predicated on cold calls, referral relationships. Up until recently, actually, it was only that way. And in January, which is when we did our rebrand to Transaction Company, we launched a ISO and agent program. So today we have ISOs and agents all over the country that have been really utilizing our knowledge and our resources and our technology and our platforms for their own businesses. So that's really become a core focus of ours is not necessarily, we're not looking to have the biggest ISO program out there, 
we're not even necessarily looking to have, you know, I think so many companies today putting together ISO programs are, are so focused on the, the splits and the bonuses and the buyer. It's not so fine, but in my experience, you can't build a substantial business off of price. Not anymore, not in a 2022 world. In order to build a successful ISO and a profitable payments company today, you have to leverage technology and service. It's the only way to do it. You can play on price maybe in the short term, but anything sold on price, you're going to lose on price. And I've experienced that firsthand. So we have people coming to us that they want to be in the point of sale space, the technology space. They're losing business to other fast moving tech companies that come in and steal their clients because they had something that was going to help their clients business. And that relationship that they had, that low price that they had, it's only going to last for so long. So we're helping ISOs modernize their business by helping them modernize their clients' business. It's interesting. You know, I've been in this payment space for, I guess, 15 years, so 16 years, maybe not quite as long as you have. But I certainly remember when sales and payment processing, especially in, in the restaurant space, was putting that brick on the counter, right? That was payments. And today, it's really software. And it's I look at it similar to you as that POS is the operating system for these small businesses I'm just curious, how receptive are they to that? When you walk into a restaurant that maybe is much more traditional, how hard is it to convince them that, hey, this is your operating system. This can run your business. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, it's getting easier. I think people regularly ask us what the most common maybe POS system is that we're replacing or the most common payments provider is that we're replacing. And it's so fragmented. There's no consistencies that are out there. We'll have anything from a large bar or restaurant that's still running on old Verifone terminals and handheld tickets to a full service white tablecloth restaurant that opened up a year ago that may be on another modern cloud-based system, but they simply just didn't have the handholding support that they needed to, to make that high-powered device actually power their business properly. So... I think people are definitely becoming more receptive than they were five or six years ago. A handful of years ago, convincing somebody to move from an older legacy type of a system or process to a new modern type of a process was kind of pulling teeth. But the market has moved enough where it's much more commonplace to now it feels like operators are, they understand that technology can power their business. But now the question is, well, all right, well, what technology are they going to choose? And the real advantage that I think we bring to the table is that we're actually helping people not necessarily focus on what the technology is, but who's the company or the individuals that are going to help them utilize that technology in the right way, right? The technology piece is just half of it. You can have the same exact technology in two businesses next door to each other, and one could have had the greatest experience in the world, and the other is ready to tear it out at a moment's notice. And it really just depends on how well they were onboarded, how well that company or that salesperson did and making sure all of the moving parts of the system were connected for their specific needs. So yeah, long story short, it's gotten easier, but I think that we're still another five to 10 years from really complete adoption in the small business space to the latest technology that's in the market. Okay. I think I know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. But what differentiates your company from your competitors out there? 
it's our service without a doubt. For sure, it's our service and our support. We don't have to beat a dead horse here, as they say, but I think I can sum it up by saying that each of our customers has text message relationships with the folks on our team, whether that's directly or our main support line. So we tell all our customers, hey, here's our support line. Call it, text it. If they're texting, whether during hours or after hours, those are routed to a team of people that know, hey, our job is to get back to this customer ASAP, even if it's to let them know we got your message and we're going to get you an answer. Our clients are never left hanging, no matter what the issue is, large or small. It's surprising that in 2022 that you can still differentiate on service in this industry, but you can. I mean, there's no doubt that you can, and there's still so many 1-800 numbers that go into this call center with the tree of options, then you end up nowhere. I mean, it's hard to believe that that still exists today, but you can probably attest to that. Oh, without a doubt. And we win business every day from competitors who simply just drop the ball in response times for very simple questions. Clients that just need a simple question answered are looking for something basic and just can't get someone to talk to, or they're given a ticket number and put in a queue and they call and follow up and they're still waiting and they're waiting. And eventually they just throw their arms up and they say, you know what, we're going to work with somebody who seems to care about our business. It might not even be that they didn't like the technology, but at some point, if they're not getting an answer that they need or they feel like they're with a company that's that's not going to support them, it's not a long-term solution. Yeah, that's amazing. It's uh, definitely something to differentiate on. So let's move on to stepping back from the company and let's talk about the industry a little bit. Where do you see payments heading in the next, say, two to three years? In the next two to three years, in that soon of a time span, I don't think we'll see any major changes. I do think that we're going to start to see, which we started to see during COVID, the not necessarily the introduction of QR codes, but they definitely became more commonplace. I think that we'll see more and more QR codes being implemented for quick scanning to order and pay at the table, not just for pulling up menus, right? That's kind of where we've all seen it at restaurants. So scan this QR code for our menu. They don't have to hand it out. So I think we're going to see more QR code technology that in some cases is going to be replacing staff members. I mean, with rising costs of food and labor and labor shortages, we have many clients that are looking for alternatives. And the QR code technology that certainly can't replace the human touch of a server, but can maybe help bridge the gap between not having enough employees on staff of letting that customer scan the QR code. Here's your menu. But by the way, you can also order from this menu. And that order is going to fire right to our kitchen. And when you're ready to leave, you can pay from that same QR code and settle up your tab. And it's going to report right back to the POS. So we're definitely going to see more and more of that in the coming two to three years. Do you think that things like crypto ever get into the restaurant space? Oh, man, it's hard to say. I think it would be silly of me to say that they won't ever get into the space. I just don't see it happening in the near term. I honestly think we're, I think we're 10 years away from crypto being into the brick and mortar space. We've had, out of all the businesses that we work with, we've had two customers ask us if they can accept crypto payments on their point of sale. And when asked if they've had a customer that has asked if they could pay 
with crypto, they've both said no. They just want to be prepared. So out of all the clients we serve, there has not been any demand other than just curiosity. So I think that answers the question right there. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It definitely does. You know, I think COVID changed the restaurant industry tremendously, right? With uh, obviously a downturn and struggles and then today coming out of hopefully out of the pandemic completely staffing shortages, inflation, cost of everything going up. But they've also faced other things like different ways people order and having to, you know, a typical small restaurant that now has to figure out how do we deliver and I mean, how much of that kind of stuff do you get into? Because at the end of the day, there has to be a payment made in all of those situations. So just curious how much of that you run into. Tons. We're involved in all of it, right? So I think part of our job as looking at ourselves as not just payments providers, but truly small business consultants at the end of the day is anything that has to do with a financial transaction, we are involving ourselves with and trying to make that process easier or less expensive for the business. Or maybe it's something that's more expensive, but it's going to drive more sales. So as a big example in online ordering, if folks listening to this don't know, most third-party delivery companies, the DoorDash and Uber Eats of the world are charging anywhere from 20 to 30% typically for an online order. So if you're placing an order at your favorite restaurant on DoorDash for delivery, and it's a $100 order, chances are 20 bucks or more are going back to DoorDash for their fees. And if you also don't know this, restaurants' profit margins are typically less than 20%. So when you start to do the math, DoorDash and Uber Eats, it really becomes a modern day cash advance for a restaurant. They're getting all these funds up front, but at the end of the month, these companies are coming back and they're charging these astronomical fees to deliver food. So we're helping clients move away from these platforms, which by the way, are also controlling your data and they're marketing that restaurant's competitors to the customers while they're in the process of ordering. But we're transitioning them to different platforms where they're actually controlling the customer's experience. And we're also helping them either implement their own delivery platform or leveraging a delivery company's driver network. So we have partnerships with companies like DoorDash and their DoorDash Drive platform, where for a small flat fee, they can just utilize DoorDash's drivers without having to pay a percentage, without having to be on DoorDash's network. And most of our customers just pass that delivery fee off to their customers. So now not only are they not paying 20 to 30%, but they're actually breaking even and paying the same as they would if a customer does a typical carryout order. So we try to look at every single piece of their business with that same type of magnifying glass, because the more that we can, the better off that business will be in the long haul, the better our relationship is with them, the stickier that client becomes. Okay. Makes perfect sense. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So tell us about your journey to becoming the founder and CEO of the transaction company. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting story that I always like to tell. So when I grew up in Minnesota and I, I was in college and I had my introduction to the payments business, I answered an ad in a local paper, which is how you found jobs back in the early 2000s. And I went to maybe 45 minute drive outside of the Twin Cities to small ISO's office. And I remember their office was in the the basement of a dental office. You had to go around the back, 
there was a door, you had to go down the stairs. And so I parked my car, I go down the stairs, walk into this dentist's office, uh, into the dentist's office basement. And here's an office, there's some people in there working away and there's no windows and it kind of felt like a bomb shelter in there. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know about this. I turn around, walk up the stairs, get in my car, turn on my car. And I realize I'm basically on E. I don't have any money. I probably have enough gas to just get back to the house I was renting with four other old college roommates at the time. And I say, you know what? What do I have, what do I have to lose at this point? So I turn back around, I go in there. And that's what started my journey. The company wasn't necessarily doing anything special, but that was my introduction to the payments business. And in a 30-minute interview process, they offered me a 100% commission job right then and there. And I kind of remember having this realization. So, okay, I can go out and work with small business owners and provide a product that they need and earn residual income on this product. And I still take that same type of excitement with me today, which is probably why I'm, I'm still in the same industry. And sometimes I wonder, man, what if I actually would have drove away in my car, right? What if I never went back in there? I'd be living an entirely different life than I am today. I met my wife in this industry. It's, it's amazing what would have, what those small decisions in life, if you look back, how that would have changed things. I eventually left that company and started my first ISO, which is called Aero Payments, who's still in business today. And then I started uh, my second ISO, which was called Revzy. That was really the business that we started getting more into working with restaurants and uh, kind of sharpening the knife there on, on what a restaurant needs in today's modern age. And that really led to the culmination of Transaction Company, which is, I like to say, a combination of everything that I've learned in the payments business all coming to a head. So it's a business that was started with no exit plan a business that I intend to run for the rest of my life. And we try to take care of our clients that same way. Awesome. So what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one business passion and one personal passion. One business passion, one personal passion. So let's go in reverse order. So personal passion, I think first and foremost for me is being a husband, being a dad, being a family man. If I'm not working, I'm with my family and we have the benefit of living in beautiful Southern California. So we're always, we're always out of the house. We're out and about, we're, we're going to beaches, we're going to restaurants, we're going to parks. And I spend every free minute I can with my family. So that's definitely a passion of mine. The few minutes that I get to myself, uh, we built a uh, kind of a powerlifting gym in the garage. That's where all my aggression comes out is, uh, is starting the day lifting lifting heavy weights. And I've got two girls and a boy at home. And my son is, he's already trying to lift weights. He's about a little over a year and a half. And uh, that's, that's hilarious and super cute to have a little, a little shadow mini me running around. So from a business standpoint, I think the things that I'm most passionate about are, I think the long-term customer relationships that I've built that have turned from not just customers, but to friends. You know, I've had some customers invite me to their their kids' birthday parties and things like that. I think those things are really special to have those relationships that develop into friendships. And then in addition is having employees that after a period of time working with them for a year or two years, they kind of get a, a foothold in the industry and are people that are really starting to make their own impact in the business. That's always fun to see, feeling like, you know, I had a small part in that, introducing them to the business. And 
I didn't really have a mentor in the industry early on. And so trying to be that person to those folks as they build those careers is, is quite valuable. Okay. Yeah. So similar in vein of what you're talking about there is the next question, which having been in this space for a long time, I sort of fell into it and haven't gotten out of it. But there are people today who can take college courses about fintech and they see all the money being invested in payments and fintech. So they look at it as a career opportunity. So what advice would you give someone, say, coming right out of college, they want to get into payments? What would you tell them they need to do to be successful? Well, I would actually say, kind of like I was saying, I would find a mentor. I would find somebody. There's this old saying that is, if you find somebody that has what you want and you do what they do, you'll get what they got, right? So I would find somebody that's in a position that you aspire to be in. And you're probably going to have to find multiple people because I think you could learn more in spending three to six months and a year if possible, just getting as close to those folks as possible to just soak in their knowledge. So whatever that takes to get close to those individuals, whether that's be an intern, whether that's be an assistant, whether that's any possible role where you can learn from the leaders in the business of somebody in a position that you aspire to be, I don't think anything could replace that. And in the financial industry, I think there's a benefit of, there's a lot of different events. There's a lot of different trade shows. You know, our company, we just got back from the Electronic Transaction Association show, which happens every year in Las Vegas. And although the industry is big, it's not that big. You can attend these shows and rub elbows with founders and presidents and CEOs of large fintech firms and start to build these relationships and getting outside of your comfort zone, starting conversations and building rapport and maintaining these relationships can really be a great starting point and jumping off point for a successful career. Yeah. Having mentors and building relationships, I mean, that that's great advice for anyone coming out of school. Well, Paul, we've covered a lot of ground about your company, about your view of the future of the industry, a little bit about you personally and your journey. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I appreciate you having me on, Greg. I would just like to thank you for creating this podcast and really giving back to the payments community. And it's definitely a, a business that I'm passionate about. And I know that you're passionate about and providing resources to folks to just learn more and learn how to do things. And more importantly, how to not do things is, is invaluable. So just, I really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be the best way for people to learn more about the company? Our website, trnxn.com. If you'd like to go to my personal website, it's Paul Hadfield, H-A-D-F-I-E-L-D dot co, C-O. Uh, you can always email me too at paul at trnxn.com. I typically respond to everybody unless you're trying to sell me something without knowing who you are. So <laughs> feel free to, to fire away. Okay. And we'll include that information in the description of the podcast as well. I appreciate that. Sure. So, Paul, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 